Hi everyone, this is two-time World Poker Tour champion Jonathan Little, and I want to tell you about my training site, PokerCoaching.com. Poker Coaching is the place to be if you want to increase your poker skills and learn to crush the games. It's the only place to quickly increase your win rate with active learning, so you can achieve your full poker potential without having to hire an expensive coach. Right now, podcast listeners can score a free membership by visiting pokercoaching.com slash card player and get access to top training tools like our interactive hand quizzes, our 7, 14, and 30-day challenges, and a roster of elite coaches such as Matt Affleck, James Romero, Burt Draftganger-Stevens, Michael Acevedo, and dozens of others. Again, that's pokercoaching.com slash card player to get your free membership right now. By now, you've heard about Global Poker, one of the fastest growing online card rooms available in the US and Canada today. So what's stopping you from trying it out? Global Poker is a safe and secure social poker site that uses their own patented sweepstakes model. Signing up is easy. You can use Google, Facebook, or just an email address. You can always play for free on Global Poker, but you can also buy gold coins for additional play, which will earn sweeps coins that can be redeemed for real cash to a bank account, Skrill account, or even as a gift card. Get a free 5,000 gold coins when you sign up right now at GlobalPoker.com. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 137, and it features WSOP bracelet winner and World Poker Tour champion Eugene Kachalov. Eugene was born in Kiev, or Kiev, as it's supposed to be pronounced, and uh, that was then part of the Soviet Union. When he was 10 years old, his family left Ukraine to New York, where he learned English and eventually enrolled into NYU's business school. The poker bug bit him hard shortly after graduating, however, and he eventually chose the game over his day job, which was actually day trading. Eugene was very aggressive with his bankroll and found quick success both on the tournament circuit and in high-stakes cash games. In 2007, he won the massive $15,000 buy-in 5-diamond World Poker Classic at Bellagio for nearly $2.5 million. And in 2011, he won a WSOP bracelet in the $1,500 stud event. And although he has three EPT side event wins, including the $100,000 buy-in super high roller at the PCA for $1.5 million, Kachalov is still searching for the third piece of the Triple Crown. He's come close on numerous occasions, most notably taking third at EPT Barcelona and then finishing runner-up at EPT Deauville. In recent years, Kachalov has played less poker as he's focused on Clash. That's his esports business with fellow former Poker Stars pro Luka Pagano. Earlier this year, Kachalov was forced to flee his hometown of Kiev, where he had been living for the last few years with his wife, because of the full scale invasion by Vladimir Putin's Russian forces into Ukraine. 
And as you can imagine, that was a very nerve-wracking experience for him, which he talked about in this interview. You'll also hear about his time playing in Molly's game in New York, and when he won a sponsorship from Daniel Negreanu, and also the time he misread his hand in a $25,000 high roller. Uh, just a note for the listeners, we recorded this interview in a quiet area away from the main casino. Or at least that's what we thought we did. As it, as it turns out, we were near some sort of convention that was randomly letting out. So there will be a little bit of background noise you'll hear a few times. It didn't affect the interview audio at all, but just thought you would like the heads up. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here is my conversation with Eugene Kachilov. I'm here with Eugene Kachilov. Eugene, how you doing? What's up, Julio? Good it's to great see you, to man. see your face. Thank you. In poker, again, you know, uh, you kind of semi-retired a few years back, right? Five years ago? Or? I did. I haven't really... I mean, I've played one or two events, but like over the last four years, I barely played. And uh, yeah, it's just good to be back. Uh, yeah? I missed the series. You yeah. did the whole series? I did pretty much the whole series, yeah. yeah. I did about 20 events or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a blast. You know, like actually, like before I even started, because I haven't played, you know, usually when I played full-time, you would come into the series, and like two weeks into it, you'd already be kind of exhausted and kind of tired. Yeah. Now, I was able to last the whole two months without really, I mean, right now, I'm a little bit already getting, yeah. getting tired, but, you know, I think I've, I've had a lot of built-up built energy in me and wanting to play. Your body's getting used to the grind again, I guess. I, kind of. I mean, like, I wouldn't want to go back. Like, I'm looking forward to starting. I have, like, two more events that I'm going to play, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally uh, give yourself a break. But I had a great time. I hope I can do it again next year. If you're listening to the background noise uh, audience, uh, <laughs> forgive us. We're, we're near a, uh, a popular pool here in Las Vegas, uh, but we're going to power through. Eugene, let's, let's talk about your life story. Get back into it, because uh, highly publicized last year, obvi- or this year, what am I even talking about? February, uh, the war in Ukraine starts. You have to flee, which must have been like the scariest couple days of your life. Um, but that's not the first time you fled Ukraine. Let, let's go back to the beginning. Ten years old. Sure. What was life like back then? Well, I obviously, you know, uh, when I first left Ukraine, I never actually left Ukraine the first time. I actually left the Soviet Union the first time. Right. Back that's then, right. it was still the Soviet Union. So um, we actually, so we left in. Uh, my dad was my dad. My, both my dad and my mom, they always hated communism. They always wanted, you know, they always dreamt about coming to live in, uh, to America and just, you know, living in a, in a normal country. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was, uh, my dad is Jewish and he was persecuted for being Jewish uh, in, Soviet, in Soviet Union. He was beaten up as a kid. He was just, a, you know, uh, really bad stuff. And he just, he, for a lot, I mean, that's just one of the reasons, but he just hated like communism and Soviet Union for many, many reasons. He always looked forward to leaving. So uh, in, uh, in the late 80s, I think uh, it was the first, well, or the second um, time the, the uh, people were allowed to finally leave. Uh, and my dad applied and he was allowed to leave. So my dad left in 1989. Uh, me and my mom weren't able to leave for another year and a half. Uh, so in, ni- in, early, um, in 1991, my mom and I were able to leave. And we left in, uh, in the summer of 91, uh, August 22nd. And it was actually the, the day the Soviet Union was falling apart. Yeah. Which was kind of you know fascinating time in history <laughs> so we we are i was a kid i was 10 years old at the time yeah what do you remember from back in the ukraine back then um you know i just kind of i didn't know anything else right so i just kind of always lived in soviet union and you know i just remember kind of hanging out with friends we lived by the woods you know in, in kiev um and uh I remember the first computers came out. I was like awestruck, like wow! And I would like go to this one place out of computers and just go play. And I was like fascinated by games. 
Um, I was fascinated. I was I was also playing card games already back then. There really? was like a uh, there was a game in in the Soviet Union. Uh, it's called Seca. It's 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 Seca. I I would. I would sort of. I actually don't remember the rules very much now, but I remember it's it's like a very simplistic version of poker. I, the way I you use a regular deck. Uh, I think you only use thirty-six cards. Okay. So it's kind of like you know six plus hold them. Um, but it was a very you know uh, it was also a game that you played for money and you know as a kid I was already kind of playing it with yeah, you yeah. Know, with friends. Uh, so you were drawn to that stuff right away. I was yeah. I think it's coming from my dad. My dad was always into cards. He was like mm-hmm. a get professional gambler for a living as oh, well. Oh really? What you kind of gambling did he do? Nothing poker related, but just cards and mm-hmm. backgammon and all sorts of games that he used to that he used to play in the Soviet Union and a hustler. You know, Kind of, yeah yeah, 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 exactly. So he was very proud when I, you know, when I went, when I went into poker and into cards. He, def- he definitely supported me there. Um, so, you know, so th- those, are, th- those are like my York. earliest memories, right? right? Um, I don't, I just kind of remember going to school. You know, I just remember life as it was. We didn't have anything special. We just lived like a normal lifestyle. I, again, I didn't know anything, anything else besides where, where I lived. Um, and then we decided, you know, then uh, I, I do remember the night we were leaving with my mom. Um, we got into a taxi late at night. We had like a late night flight. And I remember my mom was really nervous because we were, as we were coming out of the city, there were tanks rolling, rolling yeah. in. And we didn't know what, you know, we didn't know if it was going to be a vi- you know, if it was going to be violent or not. I remember we spent al- many, many hours in the airport. There was a lot of people at the airport, you know, looking to leave. Um, we finally got on the plane and we even stayed in the plane for a few hours. Like before we took off, we still didn't know whether we were going to be able to, um, to leave or not. Um, and, um, Finally, we did take off. Um, we were flying to New York through, I believe it was through Scotland um, or Ireland. I don't remember exactly. But anyways, I believe it was Scotland. So we fly to Scotland, just a, a, fl- a layover, right? Like a mm-hmm. short layover. And we land there. And it was my first time outside the country, my first time leaving the Soviet Union. And I remember I was just like walking around in wonder. And there's like Coca-Cola sold, you mm-hmm. know, in stands. And it was like, wow. And I was like, you know, a little kid. I've I've only like seen in movies, you know, bear, you know, I don't, I don't remember if I, ha- you know, even ever had it in the Soviet Union. And I was like, Mom, can you buy me a can? And my mom at the, t- and it was like a dollar for for a can of co- uh, Coca Cola. And my mom at the time, I remember she sold everything we had, and we had, she had like fifty six dollars uh, at the time. <laughs> so we were flying <laughs> with That's a big chunk of so the bank. Right? <laughs> yeah, so she's, yes, so she's, so not good money management, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, you know, it was her son, the and she wanted symbolism though, of symbolism, a can of Coke, right? Yeah. That's so crazy that you say that story. Yeah. My, okay, so not not about me, sorry guys, but my father came from Cuba at around age six. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of the last people to be allowed on the freedom flights out of oh, really? Cuba. And when they land uh, the plane, short flight obviously, Cuba to Miami, um, he sees all of these men in military gear lining the plane with holding rifles. And his fear was, oh my God, they said they turned us around and sent us wow. back to Cuba. Because that yeah. was the fear. They might not get out of in course. time. So, the whole plane starts freaking out. We're back in Cuba. They turned us around, you know, whatever. And then my grandfather notices that one of the soldiers is drinking Coca-Cola. <gasps> wow. And so that's how like, he knows. No, we're in America. That's how I, you know. So, you know. It's amazing, right? How you Listen, you Coke is doing some bad things to the Amazon and with the water supply, but there are a symbol of freedom. Yeah, in some the, the, the symbolism is amazing, and yeah. you don't. Re- if you grew up with it, like to you, it doesn't mean anything because it's just a day-to-day thing. But mm-hmm. when you when you don't grow up with it, it yeah, it means it, symbolism is huge. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. so you're in New York. You're ten. What yeah, are you getting so, into? so so from so from I get my, my mom spends the dollar, buys me the can coke, <laughs> whatever. Then we finally get to New York, and I remember we land to New York, and we have camera crews. I remember this memorable, literally 
you know, waiting to meet us when we were coming out of the plane. Oh. I think it was because of all the news coming out of the Soviet Union as, you know, it was falling apart. So I remember my dad meets us. My dad was already in the, you know, in the U.S. for a year and a half. My cousin was already there and the Jewish community also, you know, they, they were helping refugees at the time in New York. Um, so we had a place to stay. You know, my dad met us. And I remember that evening, we were, you know, we turned on the TV and then the news, they were showing people from our plane, like doing interviews, journalists doing interviews. I was like, whoa, this is so weird. And I remember my first impressions of New York was like the freakiest thing that stayed with me was like all the graffiti that I saw. Because uh, okay. I've never seen that in the Soviet Union. There's no graffiti. Really? There was no such thing. Okay. At least not that I remember. Mm-hmm. But there was just graffiti everywhere. Like as driving through New York, you know, the train, you know, Some train stations. Some more artistic than others. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, especially like in those days, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. Coming out of the like late 80s and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something I was like, whoa. Like I was like in a, in a new, wo- completely new world that, yeah, I, yeah. that I, you know, that I only dreamt about before. So th- those are my first kind of memories. You know, after that, I went to school for the first two years. I went to... Um, uh, a Jewish school for the first couple of years, like a Russian Jewish school, uh, Russian-speaking one. Um, it was tough for me. I, I didn't speak any English. Um, I remember I also, on my way to school, I got robbed twice by, like, older kids. Like, uh, you know, like, one of them stole my watch, another one stole my, my book bag. And welcome like, to it was, America. Yeah, welcome to America. And, yeah. like, I, I think somebody, somebody like... Uh, punched me or something. I don't remember. It was like it was it was rough. Like the first yeah. couple of years, and then my parents decided um, after a couple of years to send me to normal uh, elementary school. Uh, also because we, we we were not like a religious family, and you know they didn't want it just to be for me to be more kind of American, more uh, kind of more normalized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, and for me and and for me to catch up with English because I you know so because I was kind of right uh, that's just crucial old. especially heading yeah. into the the teen years yeah exactly exactly so I remember so I finally went to elementary school in seventh grade this was I was already 12 years old I was you know in the U.S. for about a year and a half um, and I remember this also like very clear memory one day walking back home and something clicked in my mind and I literally just switched from thinking in Russian to thinking in English that's which was weird. really really interesting also Do you memorable dream in Russian? no I mean ever since then you know, English kind of became my first language. Interesting. And I started to forget a lot of the Russian because, you know, with time, the only Russian I would speak would be with my parents. And what happens is, you know, when you do that, you right. start forgetting a lot of words. So right. you start certain words you use all the time in the house, but not outside of it. So yeah, and the, what you start doing is you start actually speaking like Anglo-Russian. So even when you're speaking <laughs> Russian to your parents, you for some of the words you forget, you just you just supplant them with English words. Yeah. So after a while, you know, by the time I grew up. I've forgotten a lot of Russian. There's no word for that, like rushling, rush. <laughs> yeah, rushling I don't know. English. And we, maybe we, there you is said Spanglish. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's, that's, that's true. Those? No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It does, doesn't it's not very smooth. Uh, but it's definitely something that happens with you know lots of immigrant kids. Yeah. Um, in New York, uh, and uh, yeah, so so by the time I grew up, like uh, my Russian was pretty poor like it was okay i could speak and i could understand very well but i couldn't communicate without you know always getting stuck and then using english words and just forgetting forgetting a lot of words yeah um but that's something that i i I am quite i'm much much better in russian language now having lived in ukraine for the last six years where i was forced to again you know just use it a lot right yeah you're not gonna get a lot lot of english over there um okay so what are you getting into as a teen what are your interests what, you, are you gambling? <laughs> are you playing cards? <laughs> um, so as a teen, uh, I was definitely into gaming. I was always, gaming, always, sure. I loved gaming. I loved video games. I was, you know, my, my, my as soon as my dad got a computer, I was obsessed with different games. I remember I was into competitive gaming, like, 
War Warcraft 2, I was playing at a pretty high level at the time, and it was a game I always loved. Then, like, there was another game, like, Ultima Online, which I would compare yeah. to, like, war you know, maybe war World of Warcraft, yeah. uh, modern day. Um, I was, like, really, really obsessed with those games as a kid. So I always loved, comp you know, competitive gaming. Um, indoor kid. Indoor kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, no, no, I mean... To some degree, I also—I mean, I—I I also spent a lot of time in, like in the in the uh, in the park playing basketball. I used to love playing basketball, so so I play a lot, a lot of basketball. I feel so. like I've seen you hoop before. I, I don't yeah. know, maybe like at a like at an uh, maybe Turks and Caicos. Did you ever go to that tournament? Uh, there was a bunch of basketball poker players nope. shooting hoops outside. Well, I don't remember. I may have done it a couple of times, but yeah, I—I I, I used to love to do that. And then I played tennis. So I—I I mean, I did play sports, mm -hmm. but I—but you know. Uh, the rest of the free time, I was just playing kind of uh, video gaming. Um, then when I went to college, you know, NYU. I NYU, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I I wasn't sure. I went to Stern School of Business. I wasn't, I, but I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to get, get into. I I knew something probably in business, but I really just had no idea. Uh, I was like, all right, I'll figure it out. Maybe you know, in school. Um, and then I I met a friend um, who was very successful in the stock market, and you know. Uh, I started getting interested in it, and and I think that's my first introduction to kind of to you know gambling, quote unquote mm -hmm. gambling, and uh, day trading. You know, day trading, <laughs> yeah. So so I kind of really really got interested in that. So okay. I think yeah, that was. That for, didn't you start your own little trading firm? For yeah, a that was afterwards. But in the beginning, yeah, I just after I finished uh, college, university, I, I got into day trading, and it was actually you know around the same time, like half a year later, I also got into. Uh, I got into poker, so yeah, that's what's right. You, so yeah. you didn't discover poker until after you're done with college. That probably helped. It was actually, college. it was actually like literally like I discovered poker like a month or two before graduating from from that's university. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. so no, no distraction there. But then once you found it, were, yeah. were you good right away? Yeah. So this was 2003. I was about to graduate. This was maybe springtime. Mm -hmm. um, was this was this Ilya who? who no, no, no. It was uh, it was a, it was a different friend. Um, he's not. He's not from the poker world. He oh, just. Okay. We just went to play like home games together, um, and then we just kind of. It was. It was. You know. It was the boom of poker, like the very, very beginning, 2003, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, it was all over TV. I would watch World Poker Tour, and I was like, "Wow, this is. You know, this is pretty incredible." Um, and, uh, and we got a massive clog of yeah, bachelor parties walking through at the moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, w but you were good right away at poker, or did you? No, no, no. Um, well, I guess I was good for the home game. That's what I'm saying. I, I enjoyed than the, it. Than yeah. The player pool. I don't think I was like making money in the home game, but then quickly, like I remember, my friend's brother was uh, told us that you can play online. I was like, oh wow, that's pretty cool. You can play. You can play online, and you know, I started giving it a shot. I remember I was like playing five dollars sit and goes, um, and I started doing pretty well in those. I, you know, I started I started making like thirty bucks a day, forty bucks a day, just playing you know a few hours, and I was like, wow, this is great. Like for someone living at home as a kid with yeah. no money, like that's you know bonus. enough money for like to go to the movies or just hang out with friends. Mm -hmm. So d definitely enough to to keep my you know to keep my interest and you know to con to continue at it. Then I learned that there were uh, live poker clubs also in Manhattan. Uh, they were underground. It wasn't legal, but you know there were clubs like Ace Point at the time, and kind of famous, in, you know, famous in New York. So yeah, you've seen Rounders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. get the the vibe. Uh, were they exactly. kind of like that, like uh, seedy looking, dark? No, no, smoky. no, 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 no. I think they were pretty open. They, yeah. Because even though it was kind of underground, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like. I don't think cops went after them very much. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, it was just like a club. It's just like there was no sign up front, but you go in and it's just so very comfortable, like professionally a secret, run club. A secret door knock. 
uh, I don't remember anything like that. Somebody has to introduce you, yeah. But the, you know, but there, yeah, it, it was it was pretty o it was pretty open, and That's cool. they they were quite well run uh, at the time, and they had events and cash games. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it was nice. Um, Never so worried about getting raided. At the time, no. Yeah. Uh, th th those first years, no. Um, later on, you know, they all closed because then then they were like robbed, and there were there were some problems, that, you know, yeah. uh, later on. But but during during those first years, uh, it was actually. Um, it was pretty good. It was a good experience. And then I, I remember, you know, a year and a half after that, maybe 2005, was when I first made my trip out to Vegas and California. Actually, California was my first trip to, to Commerce. Mm -hmm. I, I actually didn't play. I just went with Ilya. That's why I went with Ilya and his dad. We went to Commerce. I still didn't have, really, I didn't have much of a bankroll. I maybe had like a few few thousand bucks um, to my name. Um, and uh, I remember my first memory of poker was actually watching... Ilya's dad, he never played any poker, but he was he was a he was always a professional card player. He's like he's like a he's like a savant. This in, is in this games. is Vadim Trencher. Vadim Trencher, who yeah, is a WPT champion. Exactly, as well. exactly. Yeah. He he hasn't played much in the recent years, but but he he you was like he, he's very why. very well known. Yeah, but he's very very well known as a uh, as just like a, as a really good card player. I remember in general. watching him, and he was like aggressive back yeah. when people were aggressive. Yeah, he was like. Uh, he was like a version of Gus Hansen, the, yeah. the way like the way he picks up games, right? Like he he was he was really really good. He's actually friends with Gus, uh, so he, he's very famous in the you know in the in the in the gaming world, you know, coming from this, from from Ukraine and and Soviet Union and Europe in general. So so he sits down in the Commerce Casino. He sits down at the highest stakes game yeah. at the time, which was ten twenty pot limit hold'em. <laughs> uh, and I remember he sits down and like Antonio Sfandiari is there, Phil Locke is there. Like these are like the big names, you know, yeah. at the time. And I'm and I'm just sitting behind them watching, and I'm like in awe, you know, like I'm watching these guys who I've only seen on TV. And it's such a it's a high it's a really high stakes game. Yeah. They're all sitting with a you know with a bunch of money, like you know at the time whatever, like like maybe ten grand or something in front of them. And Vadim sits down and and clearly like they like playing with him because they see he barely understands the rules. Like he's just literally picking up. But a few hours into it, he's you could see, literally see how he's evolving he's just pick, he's just picking up nuances and learning the yeah, game yeah. along the way <laughs> and i remember along the along the way he literally uh he li cleans out the table he literally like cleans out antonio uh and antonio is like in shock at the time i remember and and i think i i, I think antonio loses maybe like 10 grand to him and he says, like, that was like a third of his bankroll at the time <laughs> that he loses. And and a week later uh, is the LAPC uh, championship, you know, the 10K buy-in. Right. And Antonio bu buys into that. Oh, my god. And gosh. he goes on to win the event. I think Antonio might, tell, might have told this story on the podcast without saying Vadim's name. Yeah. Because he did mention how right before he won that WPT, he got crushed. I didn't really understand that you were brand new to the scene and that you know, you'd won that tournament with the last of your bankroll and all that stuff. Yeah, well, it wasn't the last of it. It was almost the last of it. <laughs> I remember the night before I lost half my bankroll in a cash game, <laughs> and I went to bed quite tilted. Uh, at the time, it was a lot of money for me, mm -hmm. and I woke up and ran good for five days and binked the commerce. Yeah, so that was to Vadim. That's so crazy. So we went to watch him at the final table, and he yeah. goes on to win whatever it was, like $2 million. Yeah. And I think he even thanked Vadim. He's like, it's because of you. You you, you know, yeah, yeah. you made me want to win you this thing. You lit a fire under Yeah, me. you lit a fire under me. That's so. crazy. Well, there's a story you told back in the day of watching Nick Shulman win his 
WPT title. I know Nick's a good friend of yours. And yeah. From New York as well. That was afterwards. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that was afterwards. But like that, but that was my first memory yeah. of kind of poker. And after uh, that, you were just like, I gotta get in this world. Yeah. This. Was, I mean, this was just kind of you know, kind of lighting a fire under me. Yeah, like, yeah. wow, this is great. Like, you know, I'd love to. You know, I'd love to play like that. So. So you. So how how was your progression, up the up the. Up the le- up the stakes. I mean, did you just jump headfirst into the so, mid high stakes? No. So so that trip, I didn't really play much in commerce, or at least it wasn't very memorable for me. I may have played some small stakes there. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next trip I remember was uh, you know going to Las Vegas, going to Bellagio, and uh, I was you know I was I was playing mostly cash games there, and I, I remember I had like a couple of really good sessions at like the two five game or whatever. I was up like maybe five thousand dollars which was huge for me That's and big in two five yeah yeah <laughs> and then Ilya goes uh you know what you know there's there's an event you know there's a series going on like wpt series he's like there's a 3k uh, side event about to start why don't you go play i'll take half of you so i was like all right i'm up you know let's risk it mm-hmm. and you know i buy into the 5k event and i and i end up finishing fifth in it and out of like i don't know maybe like four or five hundred people whatever it was i think that might have been my first cash and it was like for forty-five thousand, if I'm not mistaken. This would have been like two thousand five. Yeah, forty-one thousand four hundred dollars. Look at this. There's like a yeah. a zoo of, of bachelor parties coming holy through here. Um, yeah, this was the five-star World Poker Classic 5K, April two thousand five. Yeah, exactly. Forty-one K. Yeah, forty-one K. Puts you on the map. Huh? So yeah, so it puts me on the map, and I obviously like half of that is mine, right? So I make like over twenty grand. It's a huge, huge boost to my bankroll. Yeah. And then he goes, why don't you, why don't you go play in the main event too, which was the 15K buy-in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's crazy. And then he's like, just, you know, take a, take a third of yourself. I'll take a third and my dad will take, you know, the other third. So I was like, whatever, I'm up on the trip. You know, I was always kind of <laughs> definitely not risk averse. So I was like, all right, let's risk five grand. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually ended up cashing that event as well. Finish eighth, right? No, no, no. I just, I think I min-cashed the, the well, 15K. Well, since there's an eighth here, April 2005, 5K. Oh, not the. F- you're talking about the 15k. The 15k. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I cashed maybe for like 30 or something or 20, mm-hmm. or whatever it was, 25. Right, yeah, 35th place for 27k. Yeah, and right, I remember right, that right. was also remember because I that was I played with Phil Hummy for the same table, and I was like I was like wow, this is really really cool. <laughs> Welcome. You know, to these poker. are all like my heroes. Yeah, yeah at the yeah. time. So at that point, were you just done with trading and you're just like all in on poker? No, no, no. I was definitely not. I was definitely like you know focusing on both, uh, mm-hmm. progressing in both. Um, I was working for one fund at the time, then I moved to a different fund. So I was kind of doing both at the same time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, doing well, I'd say, yeah. uh, doing well in both. Um, but that was my first kind of really kind of successful trip. And, you know, and poker gave me kind of the dream. I was like, wow, if I just made it a little bit further, I could make a really, you know, big, yeah, big yeah. boost. But even that, even then, you know, I came home with like a, with like a $30,000 bankroll, which I, you know, like basically like became my whole role uh, yeah, yeah so it was like huge <laughs> you know so it was like gave me all this confidence and it was like massive for me so did you start traveling the circuit after that or i started i definitely started to travel uh more and um uh i wouldn't i didn't start traveling the circuit circuit but i, I kept playing online um i remember i started playing like the sunday events and you know on like it was party poker at the time ultimate bed and poker stars was just getting started so you know just, just kind of playing that, play, continuing to play in private clubs, uh, and then traveling to Vegas at every opportunity, you know, wh- whenever I could. I, mm-hmm. I, I, did, I really, really enjoyed playing at the Bellagio. Well, let's talk about and the cash Bellagio. Games too. <laughs> yeah. The Bellagio is where you're. Holy moly. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for this yeah, avalanche. Of, uh, I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> Holy 
Holy moly. <laughs> we just had a commentator walk by and say, sea of women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, might be, there must be some sort of uh, yeah, convention sort of letting out. Or anyway, Empower, I hope. Some female thing, I guess. Well, there are no men here. So we're, we're intruding their space, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. These seem to be quieter coming. Let's talk about Bellagio. Another big group coming. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah, we got, let's go. Let's go. Uh, December 2007, you take down the 15K at Bellagio. The Doyle Brunson, five-diamond World Poker Classic, for $2.5 million. Explain that experience to me and how it changed your life. Coming into that event, it's actually like a, n a nice backstory because th that year, 2007, uh, um, I was playing a lot of cash games. I was kind of like, I was going deep in tournaments, but I never had like a br breakthrough. And then I remember, I believe it was in the in the spring of 2007, I I won the well, like the version of the Sunday Million and full tilt at mm -hmm. the you know at the time. It was like a yeah. $200 dollars buy in and I won like 130,000, which was massive. Like man, was remember like when I celebration? celebration. <laughs> yeah, so it was like huge for me, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, 130,000, and I was like, that gives me like another huge boost. I mm -hmm. can really go and like play live events now. Yeah. Um, I started going to the Bellagio much more often, and then in, the, in that summer, I went to the Bellagio. Bellagio Cup. Bellagio Cup, right? Yeah. And I won. Uh, I won the. I think I won. If I'm not mistaken, I think I won the 5K. It was like a small 5K event. And I won like another 100K. I don't know. If you yes. Can check. 5K event, June 2007, you won it for 118,000. Exactly. Yeah. So that was another one, right? So that <laughs> gives me another kind of boost, like, that I can do this, right? Like, I, mm -hmm. I, it gives me a lot of confidence that I can really, like, perform in live events as well. Uh, and also, like, the, you know, the high buy-ins, you know, once. Um, and, yeah, and then I come back that December, you know, looking forward to, to play again mm -hmm. at the Bellagio and, you know, playing cash games, playing tournaments. <laughs> um and uh, I buy into this uh, 15k event and you know start this crazy run and um, you know make the final table as chip leader uh, fly how was sleeping on that in. chip lead I was nervous I mean yeah. obviously like nervous looking forward to it but I felt really really confident um, my dad my family like my mom everyone kind of flew in from New York because I think we had a day off before the final table mm -hmm. so everyone flew in uh, Ilya, Vadim, they all they all came they all came for the final table and at the time it was like the quickest final table I think I knocked everyone out yeah and it was like 56 hands I think it was it was like a record setting as somebody who was watching it reporting on it I really appreciated how fast that went <laughs> yeah good for you guys yeah, I always root for, for the chip leader in those people are like who are you rooting for the chip leader yeah whoever's the chip leader right now that's what I root for yeah yeah <laughs> so that was uh, you know honestly like that obviously that was my best memory it, yeah. you know in poker it was you know i was flying in cloud nine for the next three weeks you know life-changing money even though yeah. i mean I, I had half of myself but you know still life-changing money um seeing so much money in my in my bank account it's not it's, it's not, <laughs> i was like i couldn't believe it so obviously mm -hmm. like really really like life-changing money and opened up all these opportunities for me and gave me confidence but at the same time it also gave me a lot of it, it made me kind of scared in a sense because by that time I knew a lot of people in the poker world, a mm -hmm. lot of famous people that I was kind of friends with, and I knew a lot of private stories about people who made it who then quickly went busto, right? Like right. People who won that kind of money quickly and then thought that it's this money will just come along easy. Oh, this is so easy. I just won a million, whatever, and they just go and you know blow it all somewhere. Like, I'll just win it again. But in reality, these things never never come easy. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and then so I was always afraid of that. I was always afraid of. You know, kind of lo losing it back, 
uh, and taking taking such a win for granted. Yeah, so th- we just had Ben Roll on the podcast, and he was talking about how there's a curse when you win early in your career because you just assume your brain yeah. can't fu- – even though you tell yourself, I had a good string of fortune and the variance was on my side this time, your brain still can't process what it really takes to go through yeah. a large sample size. Because when you, when you go from having a very small bankroll to having a very large one, it just – your br- it's hard to process because it does seem kind of easy. It just kind of came out. It's like mm-hmm. winning a lottery. It just came out of nowhere. And it's very hard to to uh, to appreciate, you know, how much money that is and how much work you really would need to put in to, to accumulate that kind of money in a normal way or even in poker in the future. Um, so I always say it's actually much better to get that kind of win later on, you know, after a <laughs> long grind, after, after many downswings, after the yeah. maturity, because you really don't appreciate it. You're not going to blow it. Yeah. It's crazy know. how much this hallway completely emptied yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the last 10 seconds. So, yeah. I swear, this is how it was before, guys. All right. So what did you splurge on? That's a big life-changing <laughs> score. Did you did you, did you you uh, treat yourself, as they say? I, uh, well, I remember <laughs> we, we, like, as a group, we all flew private back to New York. Oh, okay. So that was, yeah. ca- was kind of nice. Um, but besides that, uh, you know, I, th- the only thing I, sp- you know, quote unquote splurged on, I bought an, I, I bought a, an apartment for my grandparents. My grandparents live mm. in a, in a, I would say in the projects in New York, uh, kind of like low cost projects. I bought them a really, really nice place, uh, in New York. So, you know, I was really, ha- was really happy that I, that I could do that for them and That's kind awesome. of give them a really nice retirement and, uh, and also put away some money, you know, in, in a good place. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that they were happy and, you know, just kind of like a win-win-win all, all around, I think. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, then after that, you started playing high rollers, right? <laughs> yeah. After <laughs> that, you know, obviously gave me a lot of confidence. I started playing, you know, high-stakes cash games, you know, mm-hmm. high rollers, um, continue to, you know, just to do well and uh, really, really continue, you know, love poker. Let's um, talk about the bracelet. Yeah. 2011. Did you even know how to play stud when you walked in, <laughs> when you started that tournament? So you were playing a lot of hold'em mostly, right? No, so no, no. So actually, by our, again, because of I was friends with Nick Shulman, and mm-hmm. th- later on I, I was like friends with Daniel Negreanu, and like a bunch of people who played mixed games. I got into a lot of mix. At first, I got into Omaha High Low. I really like, enjoyed playing Omaha High Low. Then I got into other mixed games, started playing them online, mm-hmm. and then I started playing high stakes mixed games, uh, mm-hmm. cash games. Yeah, um, I was playing in Bobby's room for a while. I was, you know, like. Uh, Started playing. Well, I was playing online. Then I started playing live, like the three six hundred games, also in Atlantic City, and then in, in Bellagio at the time. Right, so that big I mix did, in Atlantic City ran for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would play that. I didn't play that too often, but I, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I went in there whenever I was in New York, and I did enjoy playing like the four eight hundred in Bellagio, and then also higher stakes like at Aria later on. Do you have any cool Bobby's room stories? I don't, nothing particularly memorable. It was always like a blast playing with these guys. You know, they're they're, they're yeah. you know, there's a lot of characters, you know, in the game. Um, everybody's like needling each other. Always, you know, it's 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 typically a good group of guys. Who gave you the most trouble during your time in Bobby's room? Did you have like a nemesis in that room? Um, like a particular person. I can't remember like a particular person. I mean. Whenever I played with Phil Ivey, I remember he was just—he was just a beast. I was like terrified <laughs> of playing him. He's just—he just read through your soul every time. So he was just—he was just someone that I always just yeah, respect. He, he's just answer. naturally so yeah. talented. It's just incredible how well he—he he reads into it. Um, 
besides that, there were definitely like some players who were really, really good in some games and maybe weaker in other games. And you know, I tried to do my best to to adapt. Uh, do you remember the biggest pot you played in Bobby's room? In Bobby's room, no. I played some really big pots in private games. Let's hear high stakes, Let's you know, hear private games. We have a question here: the biggest pot you ever won or lost? Uh, Your choice, pain or pleasure. It was probably like you know, you know, one of these like. I played like in Molly's game. I played in you know a bunch <laughs> of bunch of private games. Mm-hmm. I remember I lost. Uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I once got it in with like aces versus king jack offsuit pre flop <laughs> for like two hundred thousand each, and I lost that pot. That was very Oof. very painful, Oof. especially because I didn't play that game very was that often. Toby I barely got in. No no no. <laughs> um, it was actually versus you know who it was. He passed away. Was it? Yeah. Alan Meltzer. Oh, okay. Remember that character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a famous, famous guy from the movie industry, but he mm-hmm. passed away. He was he played in those games. It was versus him. Yeah. Who else did you play with in those games? I mean, that was has been outed, and you can now confirm. <laughs> um. I mean, I played with Phil Ivey. I mean, like the you know, I I played with Toby, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played with like there were some famous like hedge fund guys. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know who was out of it, so I don't. I don't prefer not to like out uh, anyone else. But um, yeah, go watch I Molly's did, I did game. Meet, did meet a lot of people. Or yeah. read Houston's book uh, if you want the details, yeah, guys. Yeah, Houston yeah, Curtis yeah. was on this podcast as well, and he he told some stories about people in that game for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was it was interesting times. But yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, let's talk about the bracelet. What did it mean to you to win a bracelet? Um, that yeah, so, so that, that year, com- kind of coming up to coming coming up into that year, for sure. I, I, I you know I, I was starting to get into tournaments. Actually, what happened was to kind of lead, lead, leading up to that. De- uh, Keep going, yeah. Sorry, just double checking. Okay. <laughs> uh, so at the time, I think it was like 2010. Daniel Negreanu was like, "Why don't you try to get into Poker Stars to, to try to get, you know become a pro?" And I was like, "All right, what, what what would it take?" And he was like, "I'll talk to them and see." And then he you know he spoke to them. He's like, "You you, you gotta you gotta win something else big. You gotta because <laughs> you've been playing a lot of cash games. Try to win something big." And I remember that's when. The, the PCA was coming around. They announced the first ever 100K buy-in. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, I just, you know, I decided, and I was having a good year, so I decided to play that. Uh, and lo and behold, I end up going, and I was like a, you know, m- movie coming to life. I end up going heads up versus Daniel, and I end up winning That's it. crazy. I didn't know the context of that story. Yeah. So, literally, Daniel tells me you should win something big, right? I play the 100K. And, he, and we go heads up versus Daniel. Yeah. I, beat, I beat Daniel in the 100K, and he's like, he's genuinely happy for me, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you're going to get in now. Like it's, yeah. you know, so that was, was enough. Just, yeah, $1.5 so $1. million dollar score will do it. Yeah, so that was obviously like the second most memorable, you know, poker event in my life. That's and, crazy. That and I didn't then, know that he set that up. Yeah, yeah. And then so immediately just so everyone after that, listening at home knows, Daniel chip-dumped heads up <laughs> to Eugene. <laughs> he definitely did not chip To get him the Poker Stars He contract. made me work for it like <laughs> hell. And I got lucky to beat him, actually. I sucked down on him. There you go, there you uh, go. But I then up beating him, and uh, yeah, and then literally like you know a few weeks after uh, this was in February, um, or you know, like even January, I, I I signed with Poker Stars. I started representing Ukraine, and um, I, I also got lucky at the time. I remember I had all this money in full tilt. I had to withdraw everything in full tilt. You know, right yeah, before yeah. Black Friday, literally. Wow. So. So I got just all my, got it out. In I got time. all my money out in time. Yeah, I joined Poker Stars, and then yeah, and then I basically when I joined Poker Stars, I started playing way more tournaments. Right, I, right, I, I right, started right, playing right. The, you know all the EPTs, all the circuits. Right, like just m- focusing more on tournaments than cash games. And that's you know coming into the World Series, um, I was also playing more tournaments, and obviously I wanted to, you know I wanted a bracelet, and uh, and I've 
already had a lot of experience playing mixed games. Stud was one of my favorite games. I really, really enjoy Stud. So yeah, it was definitely nice, you know, winning winning that bracelet. And uh, in general, I had a really massive 2011 year. I was yeah. I actually I was Player of the Year. Uh, I think it was Bluff Magazine Player of the Year in 2011. You came very close in the Card Players Player. In of the card year. Player too. Yeah. <laughs> we had a little close. bit different requirements at the time. Yeah. You know, I think that was one of the first years that like high rollers like became more of a thing, and that really yeah. messed with uh, everyone's algorithms and stuff. Yeah, it was just it was all coming online. Everybody was figuring out the yeah, all these because formulas. like people were like, well, how do we score a hundred k versus a ten k? You know, right, I mean? right, like, right, right, right. So that really it took us a couple years to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so you may have been a victim of that. Uh, sorry about that. But you, yeah, you have a bracelet. Where do you keep it? My dad. My dad keeps all my bracelets, okay. all my trophies. He loves it. I mean, he's my biggest fan. Yeah. Uh, always has been. He loves sweating me. He even came out to this series and, you know, <laughs> stood behind me for a, co you know, for a couple of days watching, yeah, yeah. just sweating me. He just loves it. Has he played any cards at all? He doesn't play poker. No. He understands the rules, but he doesn't, pl he doesn't play. Not his game. Just not his game. Yeah, not his game. All right. So a couple other... Uh, huge scores here the biggest one i think uh is the ept doville where you finished runner-up that would have given you the triple crown yeah so i actually before that in mm -hmm. 2011 i finished third in ept barcelona main mm -hmm. event so and that was a very memorable trip also because um uh basically i was struggling so massively with jet lag that trip i was sleeping two hours a night <laughs> and on day what was like day five of the you know we were at the final table i was in such low sleep i was like in such bad shape i was literally like they i literally asked them they brought a bucket of ice for me i i had to uh wash myself like with a with a towel and, and ice yeah, water yeah, just to wake yourself I was, up i was i was feeling awful i was like just passing out i was drinking lots of coffee running to the bathroom I've never been in such bad shape. Ever since then, I would like I would just I would bring melatonin with me to sleep, but I literally couldn't focus, and it was it was sad because I actually had the chip lead at one point in the table, and I and I ended up finishing, um, finishing uh, third uh, yeah. at the event. But Probably I always had that drive. I wanted, <laughs> yeah, it was it was obviously still nice, but obviously I wanted I wanted mm -hmm. the, the triple crown on the EPT, uh, and yeah, and then la later on, I remember it was like a year, year or two after I finished second in the EPT Doville also. Another 500k. Yeah. So another yeah. bittersweet consolation yeah. prize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that something you were thinking about the triple crown? Lot, yeah, or? at the time I was for mm -hmm. sure. At the time I, I um, you know, playing professionally, it's something I wanted. I was really kind of, uh, mm -hmm. I liked the accolades. I want, you know, I wanted uh, also being with poker stars. It was nice, you know, it, was, it would be nice to, to to have a new kind of, you know, uh, thing to 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 show off. So definitely wanted it. So when did you decide to take your foot off the gas when it came to poker? Um, so I think it was around 2015 when. Um, I became kind of close with uh, Luca Pagano, mm -hmm. uh, who's also a Team Poker Stars pro. Team Poker Stars pro from Italy. From Italy, right? Yeah. Uh, at the time, and uh, but Luca was al always, um, uh, you know, he was a professional player at first, but then by that time he was already kind of tra transitioning much more in the business side. Mm -hmm. um, if 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 anybody played poker in Europe at the time, you know, especially in Italy, they would have known something called Pagano events. So Luca had an exclusive contract with Poker Stars where he ran all of their live events in Italy under Pagano okay. events. All EPT events in Italy were Pagano events and that was organized by him. So he had like this, you know, 12 years of experience running running uh, live events and we became really good friends. We, you know, um, he was, I learned he was also really, really into gaming um, and, you know, we, we had this shared passion for esports. My passion was coming, you know, from the past, but then also, 
you know, because of my traveling and being friends with Elki, he took me to South Korea. He took me to my first StarCraft event. It was oh, just man. fascinating. So, like, that, that must have been a, a circus, story. huh? Right? Yeah, and I was like, like wow. When I first went to my first StarCraft event in Korea, it was just incredible to see all these Whole people other cheering. World. I was like, I never knew this existed, right? Then Luca and I went to an event actually in Vegas at the Mandalay Bay, a League of Legends event. And also, like, seeing 12,000 people just going nuts and just completely sold out. Just incredible to see, right? Mm -hmm. So, so we, we, uh, we were like, why not? Let's try to do something, you know, in this industry. I think we were kind of both... Uh, well, I, he was already kind of transi transitioning more to the business world. And I was certainly interested in, in it. I think my reason was... You know, when I started to think about my own future and where do I want to be in 10 years or in 20 years, I, I honestly, I didn't want to be a professional poker player when I'm like 60 years old. Like, I just, I wanted to do something else. I, I, I love poker, but I, you know, I didn't want to play professionally for the rest of my life, you know. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to build something that I could also kind of just be proud of. So I had, you know, I had this passion for esports. So Luca and I founded Clash and, you know, in 2000. Clash with a Q, guys. Yeah, with a, yeah, with a Q, yeah. <laughs> So um, the idea came up in like 2016. We founded in like 2017, and you know that's when I, my slow transition out of poker started. You know, I, I you know I left poker stars in uh, in 2016 and um, stopped playing professionally essentially uh, from 2017. Just you know, so for, for those who have no idea what esports is, what does Clash do? So Clash. So we started as a, as a as a normal esports team. Basically, it's you know you. Uh, uh, so, but it could be we, any we, game, right? Yeah, it could be any game. You can think of it. Uh, basically, we have players who play under our brand, who play competitively, right? We would travel the circuit, mm -hmm. um, play competitively, and you know whatever money they make, they, they keep for themselves, and we just we create a brand out of it, right? And then we sell sponsorship to that brand. That's a very very simplistic way of describing it. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity that we saw was actually, uh, well, people familiar with poker will will. will uh, 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 if you think about like the poker stars model right the P poker stars essentially um, it's a platform right that has uh, that has people playing you know a game on on their site and they assigned us as professional players right as ambassadors of the game mm -hmm. right uh, and how do they use us as ambassadors like they they asked us to play to represent their brand and also to interact and engage with their with the community of poker players right both online and live right mm -hmm. so that, that's a similar approach that we took to, to esports. We basically um, hired a bunch, you know, got, got a lot of professional esports players under our brand, and we started building a community and organizing esports events for the community and uh, using these pros to engage and interact yeah. with these communities and to build our events. So our focus is on the event side of esports. Cool. But we also have professional players who we use to build our brand and also to engage with the community and to draw and to essentially build our audience. All right. So if that makes sense. So, so what games are you playing these days? So I personally don't play many games myself because I'm, uh, for me, to <laughs> play well, old. It, I'm so we're old. old and, and our I, reaction time is slow. Yeah, I, 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 I'm so <laughs> frustrated by how bad I am. So it's like, yeah. but I do get a lot of enjoyment watching games. Yeah. I, I do, like, I, I still to this day, I love watching StarCraft 2. It's, you know, it's one of my favorite games. I, I enjoy watching, like, PUBG. Um, and, yeah, I just, you know, kind of um, enjoy watching games because I... Because the games, when you can appreciate the skill level involved, and it's mm -hmm. such a high, you know, high level of skill, uh, I do get a kick out of it. Is Clash the reason why you moved back to Ukraine? So, 
Par you know, partially, yeah, because Clash, we're we're um, uh, we're focused in, on Europe for the time being. Although now we're expanding to uh, South America and also the Middle East. Um, but yeah, being be, you know, kind of having to be in Europe, um, uh, definitely a big reason. But also because I, you know, I met uh, with my wife, who's Ukrainian. She 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 started uh, her own uh, business in Ukraine. So for a lot of reasons, it just made sense for me to Ukraine. I also became, even though I didn't play poker full time, I became an ambassador for a local Ukrainian poker site called Poker Match. Uh, who were the biggest, you know, poker online poker operator in Ukraine? I'm still an ambassador for them, um, kind of helping to promote the game because I know the game is, you know, growing, you know, very much so in Ukraine. Um, so for all these, for a combination of reasons, I just, you know, we we, we stayed, uh, we lived in Kiev. My wife growing her business me, with me focusing on Clash uh, in Europe, um, you know. And this entire time, you know, there's there's an escalation happening, right? You moved there knowing that this was. I think it was 2014, right? When, uh, when, ah, when no, I mean, escal off. escalation, yeah, but n no one expected, you know, for there to of be like a war. No, no, it was of course not. That yeah. wasn't even like on top of mind. You just considered. Kiev was just like, I, you, I loved Ukraine. I, I fell in love with Ukraine, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, at first, I never imagined myself living there, right? Because I, I still, you know, I felt at home in the U.S., right, like where I grew up. Um, but then I, you know, as, as time went on, I really kind of like fell in love with the country, with the, with the people, with the lifestyle. I, um, I made a lot of friends there and, you know, through my wife and just traveling all over the country, uh, just really kind of enjoyed it and, uh, you know, living in Kiev. Um, but there was no sense that there would be like an invasion. I mean, there was, there was a conflict going on somewhere, in, you know, in the distance in the Donbass area, but, uh, n you know. Just, just didn't Kiev imagine, was the, yeah. Kiev was just like you, you got to think of it like it's like a huge metropolitan city of mm -hmm. like three million people, right? Uh, always just getting better and better every year. To be, like uh, nice, great restaurants, great food, great hotels. Like all, just everything getting better. Poker was growing. Yeah, you know, it was just like you know, uh, businesses was growing. My wife's business was doing great. So I just always kind of envisioned myself. We wanted to expand Clash into you know into Ukraine also. So uh, for lots of reasons, I just wanted to kind of live there. February happens, uh, you get short notice, I guess, uh, to, to get out. Yeah, so the first tension obviously was before February. I mean, the first ten the first real tension, I think, was towards the end of 2021 mm -hmm. when, there, you know, tension was starting to build up, when troops were being built up, on the, you know, on the borders. Um, and, you know, at the time, the U.S. was warning that the invasion would happen, but at the time, like, there were... There was lots of mixed signals, right? Like I, I didn't know what to believe. There was lots of reasons not, not, not to just take what U, U.S. government is saying for granted, right? They were wrong about so many things. So you just didn't know what to believe, what to not to believe. Um, so uh, leading up into February, we were we obviously started ha making some precautions, like like uh, some preparations as to yeah. you know just in case. We still didn't believe the invasion would happen. But at the very least, like, we got all our paperwork just to get in one place. Like, we, we, we were ready to leave on short notice if needed. But we still, we still didn't, believe, didn't believe invasion would actually happen. Um, but even the day before the invasion, uh, I remember we got together with friends in Kiev. And we were already thinking about maybe just going to the west of the country, spend like a week or two to see, you know, just to, to be somewhere outside the city uh, to, 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 until it blows over. At the yeah. time, that kind of made sense. Um, but at the time, we were already uh, also like 
even our car, like we would always make sure, even the month leading up to it, like I would always have a full gas tank because we wanted to be yeah, ready yeah. just in case so that we can make it out, you know, go 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 west and have a full ga gas tank because, you know. Have a bag ready to go. Yeah, yeah, have a bag ready to go, emergency supplies, and, you know, that was it. And then we went home that night. It was, um, I remember we got home at like late, like at 2 a.m. We, we go to sleep. And at 5 a.m., I hear a huge explosion somewhere in the distance. And, but I, I was like, I was like, still like half asleep. I didn't know, I don't know what that was. Um, and I kind of fall back asleep. And then like half an hour later, my wife, my wife's phone starts going off. And and uh, you know, you know, she, we get news that you know the, they've they've crossed the border and tanks are literally crossing over. And it's time to get up. And like I still get goosebumps when I'm like remembering is, um, and we just jump out of bed. Uh, we call all our friends and. Uh, we already had a plan like we basically agreed to meet uh, at our friend's parents place just outside of Kiev it's like maybe 20 miles uh, outside of Kiev uh, we knew like panic would start setting in we didn't we, at that point no one knows what to expect you don't know like tanks are really coming you know uh, rolling in and you don't know where it's safer city or outside right. city we thought it would be safer outside the city at the time um, but I'm sure there's people who are like don't want to leave their homes and you know they just re no, very reluctant. You no know? one just knew, just no one knew. But yeah. what I do remember is like at 6:30 in the morning, like we literally just take. So it's it's the wind it's the winter right middle of winter. We just take a few. I have my bag ready right like just no clothing just like paperwork and stuff and like some cash. Um, uh, we just put some some basic clothing together like literally like sports clothing because we were thinking what's the most important thing just warm comfortable clothing in case we actually just need to walk or whatever like you know in the winter right so just left left most, most of our stuff just grabbed a couple of things half an hour later we're out of the house we stop by my 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 wife's office she grabs a couple of things there she picks up some cash and already on the streets you see like there's way more people on the streets than normal at the time and you see like people kind of you can see panic in people's faces and people are carrying suitcases everyone's trying to make their way out either by car or by bus or by anything, right? Like people, are, you could see panic starting to set in. So we start heading out. You can see there's already traffic forming, like heavy, heavy traffic. Uh, we were able to get in front of the traffic to the motorcycle. It took us like two hours to, to get, you know, to drive the 20 miles. Um, we get to our, our friend's parents' home and uh, it's just wonderful people. They, they take us in. Again, no one knows what's going on. We're watching the news, you know, we 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 start seeing yeah, planning our next move. Yeah, we start planning our next move. We see uh, military hel helicopters flying overhead. It's really scary. We we hear explosions in the distance, right? Because missiles are starting to land, and um, we hear there's like tanks rolling over, and we we, we see like the you know north of Kiev, you know they're starting to approach, and we just, we just don't know what's going on. So we, at the time, we you know oh there was also no gas. There there was no gas in the gas stations. There were huge lines to gas stations, right? So we, we have a decision to make. Either we stay here and take our chances or we try to head towards the border because I mean, basically like when I call, I called the U.S. Embassy, they're like, you have to get, you know, the only advice we can give you is you have to try to, you know, you have to get the border. We can't help you in any other way, but you just have to, you just have but to. But the first it. plane was Poland? The, the first what? The first plane was Poland? The first what? The, fir the first plan? Oh, the first plan. We didn't know. I anywhere. Anywhere across the border. I was following along yeah. on Twitter, obviously, as you were trying to get out. And I remember there was, like, one border you had to go to, and then you returned back. And then you had to go so to all Hungary. All the borders are pretty far. Like, yeah. you know, there's, like, four borders. You can go across into Poland, into Romania, into, into Hungary, mm -hmm. or into Moldova, uh, mm -hmm. I think. But they're all far. They're all, like, 
500 miles away, 450 miles away, all pretty far, yeah. and not enough on one gas, the one tank again, on right. one gas tank, right? So that's the that's the crucial thing, and also you have to remember that you have to keep in mind that in Ukraine the roads are really poor, like especially as you get off road, further, yeah, very poor roads, and we um we had a small sedan, like a small Mercedes sedan, we had like a bad tire, we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to make it out, but our friends, uh, my wife's friends, had SUVs. So we decided to just leave our car behind, and, and we did make a decision to, f to, to risk and go towards the border. And it wasn't an easy decision at the time, again, because it's like, on one hand, you know, we have this, you know, we, we can try to go to the border, but the country being attacked, you don't know what's going to happen. Literally, one of the main highways was already bombed. It was not, you couldn't drive through it. Right. There was massive traffic. Like, you, you couldn't make it out. So it's like, it's like, do we risk getting stuck in the middle of winter, in the middle of nowhere? potentially bombed and potentially stuck in the car and then and then what and then mm -hmm. and potentially with no gas or do we stay at least in a comfortable home right or people are you know welcomed us in but then we're that might know, be in danger yeah we just don't know you could yeah. you couldn't make a decision so we spent that whole day kind of and you have your whole family forth. it's not just you like it's me my wife it, her you know. her friends and a couple and, and a few other couples yeah that were with us uh you know that that we you know we were trying to make our way westward uh, so by that evening, after going back and forth, back and forth, we did decide to head out, take take our chances, and head out early in the morning. So we're like, let's get some sleep and then um, uh, start heading out. So we decided to head out at five in the morning, the, the, the next morning. So we, so we go to sleep. Uh, we we head out at five in the morning, and there's lot again, still lots of cars, people slowly, slowly exiting exiting the country, lots of traffic, um, and I remember. As we head out at five in the morning, there was only one. So the one thing we were told is avoid big cities. Do not go into big cities because they're being bombed. Yeah, yeah. And you have to just take. But that's all what the, the roads go roads. through. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to take all the side mm -hmm. roads. So you, so we were literally, we had one guy, who was like, uh, who was a friend of a friend who 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 worked at border patrol. or used to work at border patrol, and he told us he gave us like a, like a, a route, like a safe fish route, where where uh, where we can go, and. Uh, coming out of Kiev at the time, there was really only one road that we can go. So we started taking that road, and we literally like ten minutes after we exit, uh, exit that little village, we hit our first, like, in the middle of the road. There's just like a uh, a concrete uh, border. Yeah. Like literally, just like somebody put it there, and we're like, oh my god, like, can we actually? Is this crossable, or who is this? Like, we don't know. We don't know what this is. Like, it's a, it's a border. It's like a, it's like a. Uh, yeah. Should you cross it? Even or should if you, you cross can? it? We yeah. don't know if these are Russians. We don't know if yeah. these are Ukrainians. We don't know anything, right? Like, we just woke up. Everything was happening really, really quickly that first night, right? And then we see some cars turning back, and we're like, but we can't turn back. There's no other road. So mm -hmm. we turn back, and then we're like, well, we have to try to cross it. So we end up we end up going back and we try to you know and then we see you can, there's like ways to go around it like you know especially made it's just they just want to make sure you're going slow and then we start crossing it and there's like literally like I don't know ten men with machine guns you know standing we don't again we don't know who yeah. they are Which and they're checking paperwork yeah so that was you know that was definitely very very like nerve wracking um, they start checking paperwork like asking where you're going we realize they're they're Ukrainians uh, but they're but they're not they're not these aren't like these aren't like police these are like just uh uh what do you call it? like um soldiers they're not soldiers no these are um security uh mercenaries uh, no 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 not mercenaries these are uh just regular people essentially mm. who who just took up 
took it upon themselves. Took it upon themselves, right? Put up a yeah, border. so you don't yeah. know. And also, we heard rumor. You know, we heard rumors that there's there's probably a lot of marauders at the time, like looking to just rob people. Because imagine all these people leaving the city uh, with all their the stuff. Obviously, yeah. they have all their belongings with them, right? All their mm-hmm. cash, like everything, right? So you just don't know what to expect. You know, there's there's no everything's just kind of falling apart, right? Yeah. So thankfully, they check our paperwork. Thankfully, you know, there there were no issues. They they kind of let us through. And, uh, yeah, and we just, you know, we make our way. We, we couldn't go directly east. We had to first go south towards Odessa, for like halfway, and then through the side roads go, go that way. And I remember, like, a few hours into it, again, there was no gas in the gas stations. We didn't know how far we were going to get, but we heard rumors that there was gas as you get further, as you get further west. Um, and I remember driving towards Odessa, we saw, we saw a massive explosion go off, like, in the distance. Like, really, like, we were just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, so... Uh, and these, and then again, we saw like military helicopters and planes fly overhead. And then also two times, we were drive past us, like in in the opposite direction. Especially early in the morning, we saw military convoys slowly driving with lights off, right? Because they have to, they have to. And we realized these are like real targets for for bombings. And it was like yeah, and you're right next a, to them. And we're literally like we're just driving past them. They're driving yeah. really slowly. These huge, huge convoys of tanks, of just like armored vehicles. And you could see they're just full of like full of military men, right? Like, and it's just like, it's. I still get goosebumps like thinking about it. I'm just looking at these people. I'm like, oh my god, these guys are they're going to war. Like, it's just it's scary. Like they're literally yeah. going to war. They don't know what to expect. Like it's it's just scary. Um, so uh, we you know we keep making our way way out. We go on again. We left our car behind. We were on three SUVs, you know, with uh, uh, with our friends. Uh, I was you know I was doing the driving. Uh, and one, you know, in one of the SUVs, and uh, going through a lot of like dirt roads and just small roads, and um, yeah, just driving for hours, and hours. I remember at some point we also met a, a, a convoy of cars with uh, with huge signs on them. It was like with Austrian flag flags, okay. and I think it was the Austrian embassy uh, people that oh, were okay. slowly making their way out of Kiev. And trying to make their way out to the border as well. That's like, what I'm right. like. I would color an Austrian flag yeah, yeah, on yeah. my car. So, I don't know. If, at that point, I don't know if anything helps, right? Like, right, I mean, right. I think, you know, but, but you also you're going through a lot of border, mm-hmm. uh, not border checkpoints, but just checkpoints. A lot of these like checkpoints that yeah, we we're have talking to go about. Through. Was it nine million people that tried to escape? Uh, you know, at all at once, basically. Eventually, yeah. But at, at that time, it was you know, yeah, it was millions of people trying to head out all the t- at the same time, and and situation evolving minute by minute. So mm-hmm. literally, you know. As I'm driving, my wife's listening to the news, and we hear all these cities around us, behind us, you know, being bombed. And it's just like, I remember this, like, I had this picture of, like, we're driving, and I feel like there's this huge wave of fire behind us. Like, that was the, the you know, what was going on through my imagination. And, we're, and my wife's like, we, we, we had just, we have to, you have to make me a promise. She told me, she's like, no matter what happens, our goal is just to make it to the border. If we have to leave our car, we leave our car. If we have to leave our stuff, we leave our stuff. Then we walk. We have to walk yeah. 300 miles. We're going to walk 300 miles, and you know that's what we're going to do. So, you know, um, we kept driving, and uh, at some point, we did hit gas stations that were open. They limited the amount of gas you can get. It was like I think you can only get like 20 bucks of gas, but that was okay. Like at that point, we were just like stopping at every gas station, just gas station, just filling up to the max. Yeah. yeah. When that, you know, whenever, whenever we had, whenever we had the opportunity. Um. So you know, it took us. It took us uh, maybe 22 hours, I think, in to make car. it in the car. Oh. I didn't eat anything. Like I wasn't even hungry. But I it was don't just even like being on a six-hour road trip. 
not let alone tw- a whole day flew that's for my the life. The same thing for me, right? But it was f- so. What I found fascinating at the time, and why I was like tweeting about it, because I was like, I think like people would want to, like I, I know I would want to hear about mm-hmm. this from someone, for right? Sure. And I was like, it would be fascinating to share this experience because the things that I was feeling in my body was like so new. It was like you had all this adrenaline. You, you like there was no, there was no. Uh, there was no hunger. There was no tiredness. It was just like focus, just pure focus, um, and just single-minded focus. Just, just getting, just, you know, just driving, and that's yeah. it. Like it, it was fascinating to to observe, like how, how uh, your your, you know, your body mechanism changes and adapts to the situation, uh, you know, kind of like in this uh, emergency situation. So uh, you know, w- another reason why I was kind of you know tweeting about it. Um, so 22 hours, we we get we get close to to the border and i remember the scariest part there was like we're, we're still about 150 kilometers 150 kilometers about 100 miles away from the border at the time we were driving to i believe the hungarian border mm-hmm. we were about 100 miles away from it and we hit this massive traffic like uh and we were used to getting traffic because you know there were so many checkpoints set up right so we knew like there was always traffic but this one we literally got stuck in place we didn't move for two hours anywhere oh my just god mass- and it was already middle of the night right we've been driving the whole day yeah it's already like 10 at night 11 at night we're stuck for two hours we don't know what to expect and then suddenly my wa- uh my wife hears on the news that there were rumors that chechen paratroopers were landed somewhere nearby like 50 chechen, paratro- chechen paratroopers now People in the U.S. they may not know, but Chechen Chechen soldiers, they're you know basically Chechens are like led by this like warlord uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, and they're 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 famous for being really brutal, like really really brutal. They, they you know like uh, like just raping, killing civilians, like nothing nothing matters. So obviously, like my wife started like to kind of like you know get really really nervous because we don't know like they're somewhere nearby. We're stuck right, in traffic. Right. We can't move forward, backward. There's nowhere to move. Right, we're just stuck. And we're like in the middle of a road, in the middle of the forest. We, we don't know what's going on. Um, so, I think another hour passes, and then and then I realize I, I look at Google Maps, like as, you know, navigation's on. We see we're 100, 100 miles away, but then I look and we, we actually and I realize that even though we're 100 miles to the Hungarian border, we're literally it was literally like 100 meters to the Polish forest. It's not a border; it yeah. was just a forest. So, like, if you wanted to, you can just cross into the forest. And I was like, oh, if we're, even though it's not an official border, but I was like, being so close to Poland, being so close to NATO territory, there's no chance that, mm-hmm. there's very little chance that they're going right, to try right. and bomb anywhere near forest, NATO yeah. territory. Like, so, and we were, you know, we were kind of so close to it. So, that kind of gave us some peace. And at some point, we did cross, you know, that, that checkpoint. It was a very, very long one. And um, we ended up we ended up changing our mind. First, we went to the Hungarian border, then we went to a different border and then we ended up going back to the Hungarian border and it was a huge line there and we ended up spending the night in our car uh, in the middle of the highway and then we woke up in the morning and we were able to to cross over um, you know through the border and you know our first experience the next morning kind of was at the gas station in uh, in Hungary right right after the border uh, and you know we walk inside just to get to get something to drink and to get gas and I remember my, my wife just kind of, you know, she just she just leaned against the candy stand and just started crying. Uh, it was like, because finally we were so fo- like we can Oof. literally just like breathe out, right? Yeah. And the then relief of uh, relief, right? And then the fascinating thing is like, literally, like we get into the car, 
And the very next thought is like, now we're safe. How do we help others? Now, the, mm -hmm. now it's like your whole focus changes to Man, to helping you know everyone else. And because I people had nowhere to go, that you guys paid in advance your wife's uh, workers' salaries for her my wife. Shop? My wife yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. She paid. She gave everyone like two months cash uh, mm -hmm. in advance because again, we didn't know you know we didn't know what to, what to expect, and she knew like you know they needed money. So yeah, she she definitely did well by them. And um, you know now you're in Hungary and you're and. The relief hits, but also the grief over what you've lost, right? So you don't know, are you ever going back? You know what I mean? Like, that's got to be, like, that is the wor terrifying. The, 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 I would say for us, the worst part of this was the uh, was the unknown. was mm -hmm. just not knowing what to do, what to yeah. plan. Is this thing going to be over in a week, in a month, in a year? Yeah. Are you going to have a home to come back to? I mean, where, where are you going to stay? Where are you going to live? So... You know, th those first 10 days, I rented an Airbnb in, uh, in Budapest. Mm -hmm. um, and we literally, you know, there were, and then so many people started reaching out to me on Twitter. Like, just hundreds of people. It's just incredible. Like, people uh, offering their homes, you know, mm -hmm. to stay for free. Um, and at the same time, lots of people reaching out to my wife, like lots of refugees asking for help because at the time there was no government support set up. There were people that had nowhere to oh, stay. Yeah. There were hundreds of thousands of people leaving, nowhere to stay. Um, so we just spent those 10 days just connecting people who were offering homes through me with people who need refugees, uh, mostly just women with kids. Uh, who needed a place to stay. Yeah. And lots of people from the poker community um, helped out and just amazing. I remember I have an Excel sheet of where I collected, uh, there were 60, it was people from 16 different countries that offered their homes for free to refugees. So it's just incredible to see that kind of level of support. And then, you know, I think uh, a week into our stay in Budapest, uh, I got into, I remember Elki reached out and he told me Leon uh, Tsukernik was, uh, uh, decided to rent like four different hotels uh, in Marinsky Lazny in Czechia. It's near Brozvadov, where it's casino yeah, yeah. is, um, and offer up to and house up to 500 refugees. That's crazy. Just crazy. Like, and basically he said they can come, they can stay here. I'm gonna have hotels for them, uh, provide breakfast, lunch, dinner for them, uh, insur medical insurance, and a job if they want. Like just mm -hmm. everything. Just this like is Leon who uh, owns the Kings Kings Casino in Rostov. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where the World Series of Poker Europe is held. And uh, yeah, so so at the time, you know, it, it was uh, I didn't need the help personally. I also didn't want to take up room for refugees because you know I, I, I can I, I can afford a place on my own. But we had a lot of people uh, who who were with us, like my wife's friends and like her parents and elderly people. Um, so. Leon was like, you know, bring them here, let them stay there. So we, we brought them all there, and I rented an Airbnb uh, nearby, also in Marinsky Lazny, and that's kind of where we've been ever since, kind of staying all together. Uh, still still there? In, uh, still there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so to this day, so we're, we're going to be Bu there for another... Budapest? No, 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 in, in Marinsky Lazny. In, I, I thought I read that you had gone to Budapest for a little bit. So the first 10 days in Budapest, mm -hmm. and then we went to, to Marinsky okay. Lazny in Czechia for the next, whatever, three, four months. So that what's we the spend plan there. now? I mean, so now the plan is uh, we're actually. <laughs> so Elki lives in Prague, right? Elki has a really cool mm -hmm. place, a uh, really nice like penthouse in Prague, mm -hmm. and he has to move uh, with Jenny uh, to Korea for GG Poker, uh, <laughs> and they want to keep their place. So I'm actually going to sublease oh, yeah. their place, and I think we're going to just you know uh, live in Prague for maybe the next six months at least, and then we'll see. Yeah. Um, also right now, because we have to stay close. We want to stay in Europe, uh, 
you know, as I said, for me, for business reasons, but also my wife for business reasons. She needs to stay close to Kiev because my wife reopened her business, um, and um, she she wants to stay close to to Ukraine. I mean, we still kind of hope we can go back uh, to Ukraine at some point. Uh, and now they've actually launched like direct trains from Prague to Ukraine to to Kiev. Uh, so. Uh, yes, so I think so we'll, we'll stay in Prague. Back and yeah, yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of people actually went back. Okay. So a place like Kiev is actually relatively safe. I mean, besides like the some of the missiles, like sometimes landing. But you know, realistically speaking, it's you're you're generally pretty safe now in yeah. Kiev. Um, it's just you know there were some problems with with gas for a while, but now I mean from what here we hear, like life is sort of normalish. Uh, but again, the situation is still kind of unstable. Obviously, I'm an ignorant American, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the news is only giving me a fraction of, of reality, I'm sure. But uh, it seems to me that the only end game here is for Putin to m- somehow die in office, or for his people to get so fed up with these sanctions and you know the quality of life that he's inevitably pushed out of office. I mean, is that the way it, it seems to you? That was definitely the thinking in the beginning. Um, I think what we're learning now is the sanctions do have an effect but but it's it's um it's a it takes a long long time to play out mm-hmm. it, it you know it doesn't and the biggest problem is that because of how much europe in general is reliant on russia for gas uh literally like <laughs> over a billion euros is being sent to russia every day from europe so <laughs> I mean, just imagine yeah. that, that how much money that is, over a billion euros, and that's obviously funding the war to a great degree. Now, the sanctions do have an effect because Russia, at some point, is going to run out of ways to spend that money because they literally just can't uh, rebuild all the, you know, all the, the military equipment that they're losing, uh, and they can't purchase it also, right, legally, only, only through the black market. So, so th- th- this will start imp- impacting them. But, um, but still, they, this, this thing... The only known thing now is that this war is going to last a long time. Yeah. Because the two sides are nowhere close to making a deal. I mean, the only way this war ends is with some kind of a deal, right? And they're nowhere close because Ukraine at this point um, is very confident that they can win. Russia is confident that they can win. And Ukraine is not willing to give an inch. You know, they're, they're, they, they just want to, rec- you know, uh, recapture all their territory. And uh, they feel confident that, you know, with the support of Europe and the U.S., um, especially with the military support that's coming in now, they feel confident that it's just a you know, matter of time that we can push them back. And, it, and it's, it's scary to imagine. No one knows how this ends because Putin can't give an inch either because if he gives an inch, he, he loses power, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, he has a lot of support in Russia. So it's a, it's a, very, it's a very tenuous situation. Um, you know, when I when I kind of look at it big picture, I also don't see this ending without a Putin downfall somehow. Um, in some sense, I remember I tweeted about this. In some sense, I think like the best outcome would be for Putin to die na- of natural death, not actually to be like as much as I'd want him to be like uh, captured and arrested and and you know, but drawn I, and quartered, and, uh, drawn <laughs> and quartered. Like as much as I'd want that, right? Like I, understand I actually what you're saying, yeah. the reason I think it would be bad was would be because. Imagine what kind of an embarrassment it would be for the Russian people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't blame the Russian people for this, right? Like, it's the, it's the Russian government, right? Like the, the right. The, uh, but if but he somehow imba- has a heart attack... It's, it's like if you... if you Exactly. Like then they can just quietly back like, up. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, he died, whatever, and now politics changed. That's fine. But if you embarrass the leader of a country, especially a popular leader, 
like it makes me even think to like World War One and Two, right? Like remember when Germany was embarrassed after losing World War One? That's when Hitler came to power, right? Because right. because on this embarrassment wave and like you know a need to kind of um, to show power again, you know, I I think we should avoid that. Like I think it would be as much as I'd want that personally, as much as Ukraine would want that personally to punish you know to punish Putin. I think on on a grand scale, like on a macro scale, I think it'd be better for just him to like you know uh, just pass away fall down your somehow, stairs or secretly somehow you know <laughs> yeah. pass away yeah you know quote unquote maybe, but maybe at least there's an angry butler in his house yeah 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 but <laughs> you know uh but for the public to assume yeah that that he passed away peacefully i think that would be the best outcome but but this thing is not going to end anytime soon i have to make a, a sharp turn on this one let's and do it yeah and we're going to do some rapid fire questions right. to close it out i know it's a big a shift in tone but we'll, we'll try to get it done it. all right best shot you ever took in your career Best shot. Yeah. Wait, but in like a, like a risky buy-in maybe or. Oh. <laughs> did you ever put too much on the, the table? Oh yeah, way way too often. <laughs> Probably in the in the hundred k that I won. Okay. Uh, yeah. I w- uh, so because I took like half of myself at the time, which is way too much that I than I should have, <laughs> but it worked out. But then you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I kept yeah. doing that, so that didn't work out later on so much. But <laughs> there you go. Uh, what about the biggest punt of your career? This lady is racing in the hallway. <laughs> the the biggest the bi- the biggest punt of my career. Yeah, was there like a particular spot where you went? Oh, I wish I could have that one back. <laughs> uh, like in poker, or yeah. Uh, I remember like the biggest mistake I ever did was uh, I was playing in a twenty-five k uh, high roller in in Bahamas, mm-hmm. and. I misread my hand, or I misread oh, like or something, and I and I folded the best hand in like a massive, massive pot. It was just like it was just really, really dumb. And I showed one card too. And the funny oh. thing was, one card would have won, but because I folded the other card, I couldn't win the pot with just one card. It was just like this whole brain oh fart, my God. brain fart of a mistake, where I had like a full house, but I thought I was up against something better, and it was just it was like it was a complete brain fart. Did, did, was I, the was the guy who won the pot like? It was Dario Minieri who beat me in the pot. Okay. Um, did he try to give you? No, he was like he was just shocked too because I showed one card that beat that beat him, mm-hmm. but I couldn't win the pot because I folded the other card. It was just like a complete brain fart, <laughs> like just I deserved it, but like yeah, it was yeah. a very memorable mistake. That's funny. Um, okay, artistically, what are you? Uh, what are your talents? You play any instruments? Can you? Can you draw? Ah, uh, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> artistically, what, what's your most artistic talent? Um, I do like being. Cr- creative like in business with my company i like being creative coming up with new things coming up with new ideas coming up with uh um i don't know kind of new, new things that that don't really exi- don't don't really exist and trying to bring them into all into right out of the box thinking when it yeah comes to yeah i enjoyed that clash. it was it was also in poker like I, I also i always liked out of the box thinking there you go uh best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody anybody ever come through big for you I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't swap that much with people, though, so maybe that's why. Uh, you mentioned Molly's game, obviously. Weirdest place you ever played poker for money? Weirdest poker? Weirdest obviously, place. you had a lot of these private games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've played in any weird places. I've played like in billionaires' homes. Okay, um, that's very cool. What was, the nice, what was the nicest home you played in? <laughs> the nicest home was like yeah, like in I prefer not to say the name, but like it was like a, in, in New York, it was like a four-story penthouse like facing Central Park. It was okay. like a seventy million dollar 
you know, penthouse. Not All a penthouse, right. but like a, bu- a building and a, ho- a house. A-Rod. You can say uh, A-Rod. No, 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 it wasn't A-Rod. <laughs> I'll say I can say that. It's not A-Rod. But, it, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a billionaire. All right. What was your worst job before poker? <laughs> My very, very first job, actually, was uh, the very first time I, I was actually, I was helping a plumber. I was helping You're a plumber's pl- assistant. Not, not like a plumber. We were like, what were we doing? It was I was I must have been like 15 or 16 years old, and a friend of my me and a friend of mine were helping a plumber like dig a hole outside, like outside a or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's pretty bad yeah. manual labor yeah. to start off your working yeah. career. What was your largest non-poker wager? You ever make a big sports bet or prop bet? So the funny thing is with sports bets, I made like maybe like eight sports bets in my life and I lost all of them. I think all that's, of them. And I think that's the best thing that could have happened to me because I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> oh for eight. Yeah, I'm like, oh for eight. So I was like, yeah. that's actually good. This is, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. That's hard to do. On most yeah. of these are 50-50s, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> also kind of, well, I, and then like maybe in gambling, that's what also caused me to stop gambling. At some, I remember early in my career, I remember at some point I, I lost like 15,000 like playing craps and i was like why do i, I would rather mm. throw this money into a, in, into a fire like i would get more pleasure <laughs> than playing craps and i never gambled again like that, that was that's, it that's good that's a good lesson yeah, 15k good is a mm, it's an expensive it's, it's not pain, that but expensive it's, but it's annoying it's like yeah. it's it's if still it a lot of money leak, it would have been and it, much yeah more. exactly exactly and it's just so useless like mm. i could find way better ways to spend that money in. <laughs> if you could download one skill instantly like the matrix what would you Ooh. pick that's a good question. One skill instantly. Oh man, this is hard. Uh, this is not knowledge. This is actually this well, is a skill, right? Well, I guess it right? would be knowledge. Something that would take a while to learn on your own. You could just have it like that. Like you could well, have Michael Jordan's skill, entire basketball. Maybe, skill maybe set like. Uh, if you wanted it. No, I think it would be something like to have like the energy of someone like Elon Musk, for example. Okay. To be, you know, so I think that like a bit like a a, a business entrepreneurish energy that's going. just nonstop that you're just like you're just going, going, Man. going. Like I, I have so much respect for some, you know, for someone like that or people like that who, who, who will just do, you know, everything to to get there. Like I just don't have incredible respect. Once my once my to do list is done for the day. I'm done for the day. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. There's no part of me that's like, what's the next thing I could work on? Yeah. <laughs> Most people like that. You need such a drive to mm-hmm. do that. So I respect people who have that. Any underrated food combinations? Do you put two things together that don't belong? That don't belong? No. I was t- I put ketchup I on my eggs and people think that's weird. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, recently, uh, it's, uh, it's not that they don't belong. It's just maybe some people aren't aware. Like I've been, The one dish I've been obsessed with making myself is like, uh, it's, a, it's a Jewish dish. It's called like matzah and eggs. You know, okay. Matzah and eggs. Yeah, yeah. So I make like pancakes out of matzah and eggs. I don't know. It's unusual, oh. but it's a kind of like a, a, a Jewish thing, and uh, I don't know. I really like it for like just to eat. There you go. Yeah. I'll try that one. Yeah. Uh, who was your celebrity crush growing up? Uh, Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Was there a particular movie? No movie. She just. I don't know. I just found <laughs> her like just absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Gone in sixty seconds. <laughs> one. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Um. All right. Do you have a doppelganger? Or ha- people have told you you look like anybody. Yeah, yeah. I've been told a lot. I look like uh, Robin Williams. Oh my god. Yeah. I especially can see like it in, in the pictures. Eyes. Especially in pictures. Yeah. Espe- young Robin Williams, like Good Morning Vietnam era. When yeah. He had that little bit of. A Many people have told shadow. me that. 
I could totally <laughs> see Robin Williams. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I was gonna. You, we mentioned um, uh, Tobey Maguire. You can you you could pass for Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Some people also told me Justin shaven. Timberlake, but more Robin Williams. That's b- a good compliment more. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, take, I'll yeah. take all of those. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you could name the entertainment for the Super Bowl halftime show, what would you pick? Do you even watch NFL football? I I haven't in a while, but I I used to watch a Super Bowl. Um. Do you have a favorite band or musical act? Know. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. Probably not the best question for me. <laughs> I don't know. I'll skip that one. Uh, what is your most prized possession? Uh, my most prized possession. I don't know. I try not. To, uh, honestly, like as I've gotten older and I've got, I feel like I've gotten wiser. I, I don't. I don't. I try not to attribute any value to kind of possessions. I I attribute much more value to kind of relationships, mm-hmm. um, like way more and experiences. So, I'm just grateful for the relationships that I have with my wife, with my family, with grateful to my like my my parents. Uh, the, the amazing relationship I have with them, like especially thankful considering I know how many people have problems with you know with their family and stuff. So I think I'm just kind of more so grateful for that. What's the next big thing on your bucket list that you're gonna cross off? Uh, well, I think my dream today is to make Clash a success. Okay. And then I and now like lately I've been saying what I want what I want to become is I, I actually I dream of I dream of becoming a creational poker player. A creational, a, recre- a, a recreational <laughs> poker player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Wouldn't what that I w- be nice. Yeah, that's what I want to do. So <laughs> I'm envious of all those guys who just show up and they're just yeah. Like, it's just I just want to play. Like I want to compete, and I don't want to do it like to try and like make a living. I just yeah. want to like. Wait, you I, don't play 10ks when you're bored. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just I love poker. Like playing this summer, mm-hmm. really like I had a, I really had a blast. Like it's really really fun and to reconnect with people and so. Are you superstitious at all? Uh. I have some minor OCD things, but no, I'm not superstitious. What do you mean by that? Um, Turn the doorknob three times before you walk into a room. Yeah, something, stuff like that. Not, mm-hmm. not, not that specifically, but like, I, you know, in the past, I'm not so much anymore. I used to be like a little. I used to have a look at OCD, like you know, not stepping on lines or like oh, not, okay. not going around the tree from what with a friend, but like weird, you know, but not luck stuff. related. Not like it, if you do no, this, no, no. It's just like stuff yeah. from the past. But I, I try, I don't, I try not to think about that stuff anymore. What about phobias? crazy phobias no I don't think so okay so, so I don't I've think so if I had a snake right here you'd be oh oh it. like uh, <laughs> no I don't I don't think anything strange like that you can't scare Eugene guys <laughs> that's the challenge if you're listening out there he can't be scared yeah, yeah. Uh, longest session Longest session for me was I think it was like 38 hours okay that's cash, a big cash one. game yeah long one where was this this was, uh, I think it was at the Aria. It was one of the mixed oh, games wow. at the Aria. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was long. No it was breaks. Tough. Dinner at the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just bathroom breaks and that's it. <laughs> and then slept for like 14 hours. And how did the session end up? Were you up? Down? I don't remember, to be okay. honest. I don't remember. It was just a very long session. It was a, it was a good game. It was a good game. Yeah. I don't remember if I was up. I probably, probably was up. I, I don't I don't know. I don't just remember. There's one spot at the table who you can't quit. It's probably just a really good game, yeah, that yeah. I just you know didn't want to quit. Do you like telling people that you play poker? Or was it? A, like, I used it a to. Secret? Now less so. I don't want to like 
go into it too much. Like, it just depends. Like, do I want to talk about it or not? Because then people start asking a bunch of questions, and it's like depending who it is. Like, if someone yeah, yeah. doesn't know anything or someone knows something, it's like depending depending on my mood, yeah, <laughs> how yeah. much I want to go into. If someone comes up to me and is like, "You look like that poker player, Eugene Kachalov," you're not gonna lie to them. No, no, no. I'm not. But if the Uber driver says, "What do you do?" You're gonna be like. Uh, esports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, any well, do you use movie quotes on a regular basis when talking to people? No. Uh, biggest pet peeve at the table. Um, biggest pet peeve at the table. Uh, I would say it's probably people who try to have conversations with you when you clearly don't want to have conversations with them <laughs> like it's fine when you're getting along yeah. and you're so, but then but then sometimes you're trying to give off signals that you just want to like focus on the poker oh, and not have a, and then and they keep going and that's going that's true even like not at the poker table like at on an airplane yeah yeah you know, yeah yeah like don't get the hints you're like trying yeah, yeah. to put your headphones on yeah well, it's like, like i just want to be by myself and yeah perfect all right uh let's see i have a couple more here and then i'm gonna let you go um, do you have a bold, bold prediction for poker's future? Uh, I don't know about a bold prediction, but I certainly, you know, um, this series gave me a lot of hope for life poker. I mean, I've always had a lot of, uh, I, I always, for the last like five years, I've always kind of thought that live poker has a long way to go and a long way to live. Cause just, cause it's very, very different from online. Um, just w- way more variables. I think recreational players. I think for the most part, I think enjoy live poker more than than online poker, and I think it's just it's just gonna keep growing, and I think that's great, and I think this series showed it yeah. broke so many records. It's just incredible. It was big, and there was still room. Yeah, you and there was still there room. Was, there's still room. There was not enough dealers. Like, there's a lot of yeah. things that we can still fix, and it's just great. Yeah, like, um, yeah, it'd be crazy. Very, very happy about that. Who knows? Maybe it'll double in ten years. We'll yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Uh, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. What is a food you will never eat? <laughs> a food no, I just I hate onions. Really? Well, yeah, I, that's, that's the only I thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also allergic to raw shellfish, so that's the stuff. I've had some okay. bad experiences with that. Oh well, so. yeah, there's a food you can't. Eat. Yeah, I can't eat. But yeah, yeah. something I don't like is just onions. That's onions. It. So Everything like, else doesn't I matter like. how they're prepared. Dice. Yeah, I just don't like them. Fried. It's just all my life. Onion yeah. ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't have them anyway. Yeah. Red onion. Yeah. No. Hate them. Hate Not em. even like in some pico de gallo. Hate them. Yeah. Always ask to remove them. Otherwise, I can't eat. I think I found Eugene's phobia. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's scared of the onions. My parents always told me it would be a, you, when you grow up, you'll start liking them, but never did. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Eugene, thank you so much for the podcast and sharing this experience of watching a bunch of people walk through a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Thanks, great. Julio. Thank yeah, it was really fun for me. That's it. That is the show. Thank you once again to Eugene. You can follow him on Twitter at Eugene Kachalov and check out his esports company Clash. That's Clash with a Q at Clash.gg. As always, you can find us at Card Player Media. And if you like the show, please consider subscribing. And if you really like the show, then please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. If you do that, let us know with an email to PokerStories at CardPlayer.com and we'll say thank you with a free digital subscription to Card Player Media. Thanks for listening.